Welcome back to another episode of Have a Chat. Today's guest, Luke Edge from Edge Performance Coaching. All right. Well, Luke, thanks for coming and joining us today. Thanks, for the listeners who don't know you, even myself, to know a bit more about you, yep. can you give us a little bit of insight about your journey to date? Yeah. Um, basically, been in the PT industry since 2009. Yeah. Um, prior to that, I did two and a half years doing property valuation. So oh, I did an advanced actually planner. started studying that when I first finished school. Yeah, too, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't well, follow through. <laughs> well, yeah, like that was that was exactly how it came to me. So yeah. wanted to go into uni doing civil engineering. Okay. Went there for about four weeks. It was like the maths, the physics is just too much. Yeah. I ended up doing a bridging course before university on like four-unit maths just to try to keep up. And I just thought to myself, this is this is just outside of my scope. And I, I worked my ass off to try to just piece it together, but yep. it was just I just I just couldn't find that that was for me. Yeah. Um, so was it originally what you thought you wanted, or exactly. was it someone else yeah, told you? Exactly. Or? You know, I remember I was um I was laboring at the time, and I got yeah. my UA UAI, was, oh, yeah. you know, just enough to get in, and I, I was like so happy. Tell mum and dad, I'm going to do engineering, and I did the bridging course, which was just solely focused on maths and. Yep. As I went into the course, I remember just thinking, like, this is difficult. And for me, like, I'm hardworking and ready to rip in, but yeah. it was just felt like it was always over the top of my head. Yeah, you're dedicated, but it just wasn't. It just yeah. wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, so I, I pulled out of there about four weeks in, and then I, I straight away registered for an advanced diploma yep. of um, property valuation. I finished that and started doing property valuation for about three months, <laughs> working in a private firm at Narrabeen. And I thought, that doesn't align with who I am, you know, behind the desk. Um, I'm a very much a people person, very charismatic, enthusiastic, a little bit extroverted. Yep. And it just didn't align with who I was. And I then decided, you know what, I've been training my best mate at the time. He'd lost about 10 kilos. He used to drive from my place at Narrabeen at the time to Ermington. And this is kind of near Parramatta. And we used to catch up twice a week. I trained him at the gym and, and he'd started to refine his eating. He started to change his shape. He lost yeah. 10 kilos. And then all of a sudden I was like, you know what, I have a I have a quite a nice feel about this. And then I started looking in and I, I bought the Australian Institute of Fitness course in 2009, didn't yep. tell my parents, finished the course. <laughs> yep. And then they're like, so so how's probably evaluation going? Because they still thought and believed that I was still going that. and yeah. stuff. You know, I'd, I'd get all my clothes ready on the bed the night before and mum yeah. would be like, yeah, have a good day tomorrow. And then I'd put them in my bag and get on the AIF gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that kind of rubbed off quickly. Yeah. And um, and then from there, I I, uh, I finished the, the, the course and um, and then it, the journey started at Vision Personal Training in, in 20, uh, 2009. Yeah, okay. um, so I spent just close to three years there. Um Two and a bit years as manager, running a team of about thirteen. Um, How'd you find that role? That it was it was interesting at the time yep. at my age. Yeah. I think because I'd I'd had a lot of um, I played a high level of cricket at the time, playing first grade with Manly, and I I'd had that like competitive drive. I'd had that will to quite succeed. Yep. Um, so that sort of influenced you know how I'd like to try and grow the business for the owner. Yep. Um, but at the time I hadn't had enough experience really of like managing staff yeah. and different individual personalities, personalities yeah. and, and how to get the most out of each individual. You know, yeah. I'd done a little bit of work on this profiling and Myers-Briggs and, yeah. and that's all good in, in theory, but the person in front of you is a little different, yeah. you know. And so, in that moment, how do I handle that situation exactly. or how do I, yeah. And so. how do you get the most out of this person with this given task, yes. you know. And 
a lot of it reflects on like in order for us as a business to achieve what we want, we need to help you achieve what you want. Yes. And I need to individualize that with each. Yep. But at the time at my age, I was I was maybe a little too blunt, a little too direct. And yeah. I couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around like, why did you not complete that? Why yeah. did you not get that done? And for me, that's where the staff and the misalignment sort of was kind of difficult in places, yeah. but that was part of the learning process. Definitely. You know? So um, you probably would you say you're sort of doing one approach to everyone? To a degree, to yeah, a degree, to a degree, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. like if I was given an, a, a task by the boss in order to hit a certain target, yeah, my mind was focused on hitting the target. Yes, it wasn't not, about how the process. To no, it wasn't it. the process. Yeah. It was like we need to get this done. And yeah. when when a, when an employee didn't or a trainer at the time didn't achieve that task for no reason, yeah. when I felt like I'd upskilled them with a the skill, they knew what to do, they knew how to do it. You know, ticking all those boxes, they knew when to do it by. Yeah. Yet it still wasn't done. Yeah. That was not. That was just a reflection of, I believe, the attitude. Mm-hmm. But the time, at the same time, I didn't really know how to get the most out of them to achieve that. Yes. And, it, you know, it was obviously a byproduct of the hourly rate they may have been getting paid, how many hours they were doing. Yeah. So, but I learned a lot from that. Yeah, you know? which would have helped you moving on. 100%. You know? Yeah, sometimes 100%. those, not failures, but those experiences where they're a bit overwhelming or you think you haven't achieved what you're wanting to mm. in that moment, mm. it actually takes, you grab a lot more out of those Absolutely. rather than just going, oh, yeah, it was pretty easy. I managed 13 people. Yep. We hit our targets and we moved on. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But that was good. And then, yep. then in 2013, 2014, I believe, I think I moved into Fitness First, uh, run, a, run a business inside of Fitness First where we subcontracted trainers to other Fitness First oh, where we okay. had six trainers. Yep. And that was called Vivid Fitness. And we ran that for about three years, maybe two to three, to up to, to 2015. Yep. Um, where we had about six trainers, give or take, in different Fitness First. Um, and then 2015, I, I believe, Edge Performance started yeah. and it's been going now for six, six years, six, seven years, Yeah, yeah which is cool. Oh, it is cool. Yeah. Give us a little bit of background about mm. Edge Performance because yeah. I know you do some coaching, high-performance um, athletes, yep. um, you do mentoring, you do yep. some courses as well. So, yep. yeah, for the listeners and for myself as well, yep. what, what are some of the things you specialise in? As yep. a- yeah, so I think getting back to how it all kind of started yep. is like I'd spent a lot of my initial time in the industry with – Fat loss, yep. you know, and a lot of the demographic was, you know, a larger portion was female fat loss, yep. you know, and I'd spent a lot of time working and building and owning skills in that department. And it got to a stage after about four, five, maybe six years where I was like, you know what, I, I really feel like I want to specialize in something different. Yep. So then all the courses that I undertook, all the mentoring with coaches in the industry were all focused on athletic development, you know, and, and from there, that actually got me into a position where I felt more confident working on running mechanics, working on jumping and landing mechanics, working on understanding the best principles for maximal strength, hypertrophy, and and really understanding those bioenergetic demands of the individual in front of me, yep. you know, and, and moving a little bit further away from that fat loss kind of model. Yep. And that created that unique selling point or point of difference that, you know, I didn't really feel was in the industry at the time for working with athletes. Yeah. And then since that time, you know, multiple Australian representatives. I've trained two Olympic champions in swimming online. I've trained Australian champions, different people from states and different sports. And I just felt like it was a domino effect, yep. you know. Um, and it all started basically when I said to a few people when I started Edge Performance, I just went out of my way to reach out to who I believe were good athletes at the time and said, I'll train you for free yeah. at this time to help you guarantee what I believe was a result 
that I could help you with. So you believed provide, in what you could provide. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I said, right, if you're happy to, to invest into me mm. and you do achieve a result, fantastic. I just want you to leverage what you've achieved through my services yep. in order to help me grow my profile and my brand. Yeah, wow. And, and you know, that was fine. It, yeah. was, it was the delayed gratification that I knew might be coming. Yep. It wasn't immediate, but mm. you had to kind of build towards it. But you also had to back yourself and have yep. the confidence that you can provide a service yep. or a, a, an outcome for them, which they're going to see value in, you know what I mean, and beneficial. Yeah. So, yep. wow. So, was, so the performance side of things was when you first, you just mentioned, you know, reaching out to a few people who thought was suitable. Mm. When you first approached that, were you a bit overwhelmed with the whole or you are pretty comfortable with going down that path? Yeah. I mean, initially I was a little bit overwhelmed with knowing that, you know, as we spoke about before, living on the northern beaches, yeah. the rents are expensive. Fitness first rent is expensive. There's mm. a lot of expenses to pay. And the more people that I took on and wanted to train for free yeah. meant that I had to give more and more of my time. Yes. So I felt like I was initially a little inundated with more work that I could handle. Yes. And that obviously then had a little bit of a strain on social life and my cricket at the time and just wanted to build a business from that point, yeah. you know, inside fitness first. Um, so that was tough initially, but yeah. I found that over time that, you know, it would create a domino effect and I really started to differentiate my database with those that really wanted to be there, yeah. really wanted to train and get coached versus those that were just, they, they weren't intrinsically motivated. They were needing always to be that, yes. come on, you can do it, let's rock and roll, like that sort of clientele. And yeah. I, I started to see a, a switch in my my actual clientele that was in front of me. Yes. They really wanted to be in front of me. So that brought they were them invested. Most, exactly. Yeah. You know, even if it wasn't a financial investment no. at first, but you could see the investment mm. where some were just, you'll do more work for them, you know, out mm. for yourself to get them motivated. That's right. Which then is draining. So yeah, it is it's an interesting thing. Pick having the right clientele who are ready to invest and wanting mm. to invest for themselves first and yeah. then, you know, add the value from what you can offer. That's right. And that is a tricky thing as well. Financially, when you're starting out, you want to get as many clients, you want to get your name out, mm. you know, get that momentum going. But then you are attracting clients who aren't probably as motivated mm. in that mm. in that sense. That's so right. That's right. when when was a point where you sort of made a decision or you sort of changed that approach of taking people on for free and yeah. providing that service? Was, it was it was early on when I got into fitness first that mm. I knew I knew that I knew at a point that I really did want to start specializing in athlete development. Yep. You know, I knew that I'd invested so much time and money into different courses mm. that I really did want to bring on those and attract those with my social media yep. and the way I, I I marketed myself. I wanted to bring those people on board. Mm. So they just felt that, you know, one of the greatest things I knew about my brand, Edge Performance, is that Edge Performance, oh, yeah, I know of Edge. Yeah, he trains athletes. Now, if I knew that that was, that was what was being talked about, yep. I knew my marketing was correct. Yes. So what it kind of did is it made it made people that think, oh, am I an athlete? They'd reach out and go, listen, I may not be an athlete, but I'd still like to train with you, and then we can have a discussion. Yeah. You know, but that's that's a, that's almost a qualified clientele that wants to be a part of Edge Performance because they're reaching out now. Yes. They're, they're saying, listen, I've heard X, Y, Z about you. Um, I'm not sure if I'm an athlete. I, I might be, but you know, can we have a discussion and a chat? Yeah. So that's bringing people into my life that really want to train. Mm. And that means that I'm in front of them and I really want to give 100% to that person, you know. And I feel like now in my database after 2009, how many years is that, 11, 12 years, yeah. right, that whoever's in front of me really generally wants to be there yeah. and we're getting the most out of each other, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's a good position to have. It doesn't happen overnight. No. But that's, that's a good position to be in. 
and, you know, and after years. 100%. Yeah. And being a, a coach and in the performance space, you know, you sort of need to know your skill set around that, but then you also need to have that business element too, oh, don't you, by so, so knowing how to attract and how to, you know, build and grow a business as well 100%. instead of just being stagnant. So. You, you hit the nail on the head. And, and over the years, since 2009 to now, yeah. I have seen so many good trainers leave the industry mm. that are genuinely good trainers, yeah. technicians, albeit, they're great trainers, but they left because they didn't have the sales acumen, the marketing acumen, yeah. the business acumen to actually grow a business. Yeah. It just almost felt like if I just stuck my hand out, I'd be given clientele. Yes. You know, and I feel like that's also part of the institution's fault because they market it as such that you can earn 150 yeah. an hour, you can then go to the beach, you can then chill out. It's a great cruise lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bullshit. Like it doesn't happen that way, right? Yeah. And that's what's the biggest peeve. And those who have been in the industry long enough realize that if you have been in the industry long enough, mm. you've had to work your ass off. You've had to go out of your way to learn about sales, about marketing, how to ask the right questions, mm. how to be a bit more emotive when you sell rather than like logical because yep. that's how the brain works, you know. So it, it, it's all about like if you're not investing into sales and marketing and growing that side of thing, you're missing a trick yes. because not everyone likes to do the same process of bodybuilding that you might like to do. Not everyone likes to just do Olympic lifting like you need, like you yeah. want to do. Like you need to sell to that person in front of you yeah. with exactly what they need and want and then formulate it in a way where they feel like your services are needed. I think that's the key. You, you just know? you just nailed that one too. I think understanding what the client needs. Absolutely. And I think you're right. A lot of them, PTs or coaches out there, they sort of just get caught up with one model or yeah. one path and yeah. not being. And I think that's probably where they burn out. Mm. You know, they don't have that longevity. You've mentioned a few things. What kept you progressing and growing? What were some of the struggles or things you sort of faced on the way where you sort of maybe second guessed or did you or mm. have any thoughts of? How do I keep developing myself to keep me motivated, stimulated and, yeah. you know, growing down this path? Yeah, I think for me, the one thing that I'm fortunate with with my upbringing is like I think those that know me know that I'm quite a hard worker. Yes. So for me, I feel like I was always intrinsically motivated to learn yep. and to get better at whatever it was. So for me, reading a book, listening to a podcast, um, being mentored XYZ, like that was something that to me was just a no-brainer. Yeah. But it might not necessarily fall on the shoulders of others that, that are in the industry. Mm. Um, so that would to me was like one of those side things where I'm just happy to keep learning. But the difficulties, the difficulties came in initially trying to find a point of difference. Try yes. to separate yourself from 15 to 20 to 30 to 40 PTs inside of fitness first. Yeah. Try to try to always be upbeat and energetic and paint that smile when you've had a tough, you know, few days with yeah. whatever in external stress in your life. Yeah. And you've got to be up and up and up, you know, and that was, that was some of the stresses. And I think one thing I've learned early enough is that it's, it's not cool to think that you can do 40 to 50 hours of PT a week. Yeah. It's not okay to think that because you are only, it's only going to be a short time frame yeah. before you get burnt out, before mm. you can't give the quality that you want to your clientele mm. and they will pick up on it because they only see you once per day. They'll pick up on instantly. Instantly. They only see yeah. you once per day, right, yeah. and they're paying good value. Yeah. But you might see 10 to 12 to 15 people a day. Yeah. That last person at 7 p.m. at night has to be the same as the first person you saw at 6 a.m. Yeah. with the energy that you give. Mm. Now, if you're, not, if you're not taking that away at an early stage, you're going to see that, yes, your business might rise quickly and you might be energetic, but then over time yeah. – 
it's like, oh my God, like, mm. how do I, I just got to get through the week. I've just got to get through to Friday, you know? Yeah. And that's when you know that you've, you've got to change. Well, the enjoyment's gone out of it as 100%. well too. And, you, and and I think that's can be even outside the coaching space. I think it's in any organisational yeah. field of work. I think we sometimes feel like more is better, but yeah. it's about being effective yeah. and efficient and then being on when you are yeah. and able to provide the best service, you know, outcome, whatever you need to do. Yeah in that time. So, um, yeah, I think that's, did you have any strategies which helped you through those periods? Because, yeah, every day you, it is, it's hard to show up every day and Mm. be that, you know, upbeat every time. So what do you do to help yourself, you know, relax and be energetic and motivated all the time? Strategies initially have changed over time. Yes. You know, so initially the strategy for me was, okay, I'm mid twenties. I've got a lot of energy. I'm going to, I'm going to get as many clientele as I can. And then I've, I decided early enough that I wasn't going to work from Friday afternoon yep. through till Monday morning. Okay. So that to me was like a no-brainer. And yep. then I would always have a structured half day. So I would always say, well, Wednesday afternoon, I'm not working or Tuesday afternoon, whatever it is. Yeah. So I could get into the week and be energetic knowing that, you know, I've got a little respite yeah. at some point there, right? Yep. Um, so I would get through to that. And then I always said, you know what, Friday afternoon, I'm not available. Wednesday afternoon, whatever it might be, I'm not available and I've stuck with that. So yeah. now so now I have a, a database where it's this is when I'm available, yep. this is when I'm not. If you can fit into these times, great, but I'm not going out of my way to then put yeah. you in a time that I'm not there because that's sacrificing time that I need in order to reinvest back into every single one that I've got in front of me. Definitely. Otherwise, it's taking away from myself yep. and other things in my life and you as well as a mm. clientele. Um, so that strategy, I think, is important for all trainers is to make sure that you you highlight times where it's, this is my time. Yeah. And whether that for me was training, going to the beach, yeah. you know, hitting cricket balls, hitting golf balls, whatever it might be, yeah. like that's your time. You're doing and something for yourself. Do, you yeah. have to do it for yourself because yeah. you can't reinvest into others if you don't look after yourself. Couldn't agree. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. You've got to do the work on yourself before you can yeah. do it on others. So if you're if you're burning yourself out, you're just going to burn your clients out too. And then you're 100%. not going to show up. And then they're going to go the best way you can. And then they're going to go, oh, Luke's, or you know, oh, he's not in a great mood today, or he's down, or he's yeah. tired, and all that too. Yeah. So I think yeah, setting yeah, no, those boundaries. boundaries. Uh, I think boundaries yeah. are a big thing. I think that in anything, putting boundaries which are going to be perfect for you, and then it can flow on. That's you know right. what I mean? I that's think right. yeah. So I think that's a really um, important one to yeah. have. It is, and just, and just, I've always said, like, you know, make it like there's like MIT, most important time, yeah. like book that out. And like, it can be reading a book, it can yeah. be turning your phone off, it can be going for a walk, it can be doing some stretching, yeah. it can be podcasts, it can be whatever. Yeah. Like, but just make that time available for you so you feel like you've got that energy of being recharged yeah. and then ready to go again. Yeah. You know, and even saying that, I've been doing this since, as we know, 2009. Like I'm still trying to refine it and, and find the best time, you yeah. know, like 2020 was a bit of an like a unique year yes. with what happened. So I felt like I had to work more just to stay above, yes. you know, but yeah. now I'm really trying to refine it and get back to training a bit more, get back to reading as I know, you know, do some more courses, you yeah. know, but you've got to look after yourself in order to give back to others. Yeah, I definitely. Think that's, that's really important. Definitely. Mm. Well, we want to talk, I'll quickly touch on 2020, but before that, fitness first you hear mm. that it's quite a good structure for a lot of pts or yeah. personal trainers or whatever to to sort of start that building block you know because they have to create clients they have yeah. to build, pay you know rent and all yeah. that too so your experience within the fitness first industry mm. um how did you 
perceive that and yeah. That, yeah, how did that help you and also what did you massive yeah, yeah learn from it all? Fitness first was massive for my development. Yeah. You know, um because I always felt like after my time there, if you can make it as a trainer in fitness first, yeah, you can make it anywhere. Yeah. Okay. So the reason I say that is that in general fitness first, depending on the size or the category, will be dictated by the number of PTs that are allocated to an amount of members. So if you're at DY Fitness First, for example, they may be 20 to 30 PTs, Mm. which are all allocated about 250 members within the club that they can draw from. So within 250, you might gain 40 clients. Mm -hmm. So I always thought to myself that if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Now, the the one thing is that if you're a new PT, you'll be given a lead perhaps. And that lead might be you need to call them within three days, touch base with them, they just joined the gym. If you weren't good at calling them and and getting to meet them, you had another option, which was do a seminar. And that that was where I really thrived because I'd I'd spoken a lot prior at Vision. I'd done Toastmasters twice. I knew that that was my strength. Mm. So I put together um, nutrition for fat loss seminars and then – the first one I did, I got zero because I marketed it horribly. The next one I got, I got about 13. Wow. And then two more later, I got 48. And what happened for me within the space of, say, six weeks, I've gone from zero to 48, yeah. 48 new emails, 48 new uh, contacts, yeah. of which there was, from memory, 17 comp sessions. Yeah. And we know from 17 comp sessions, about 70% will show. And then I started doing all the numbers. And I was like, right, so from 48, I reckon I'm going to get 10 new clients. Yep. 10 new clients are going to pay me 80 bucks an hour. Yep. There's, they see me once a week. And all of a sudden, yeah, right, so I've that. just worked out that from that one seminar, it might generate me $22,000 in the year. Yeah. But that's because I tailored it to my strengths. Yeah. And I think one of the things within Fitness First is why it's a great learning opportunity is if you're not good at public speaking, don't do seminars. Yeah. If you don't know the content that you're going to talk to them about when you're walking up to them on a treadmill, just don't because yeah. the first impression counts. Yeah. But you've got to create a first impression. So smiling, yeah. being dressed well, picking up weights when there's people just not putting them away, mm. literally going up to someone who's in your house that's what I always thought. Yeah, You're in my like house that. now. Yeah. Um, if you are doing a shit squat, I'm going to come over there and tell you you're doing a shit squat and this is how I'd like you to improve it. Yeah. Or, but that comes down to your approach to them as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? You and don't go over and go, no, you're doing shit. But I know, that's rubbish. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. I, I always just say, listen, I know you don't want to see a chiropractor, yeah. but if you keep doing that, yeah. you'll be there three times a week. Yeah. So, And then that's just the way that I used to approach people because for me, I don't lack the confidence of going up to someone and talking to them. So Fitness First was a great platform for me because the gym was always three to 400 people busy. You know, Mm. there's so many people and so many opportunities. But if you don't have the same um, approach, you needed to learn a different way. Um, So Fitness First provided that, but then you had to learn how to then sell. You then had to learn how to get them on your, your easy debit or your your cash or your invoicing you know yeah. um and that was that was where i think initially i'd, I'd come undone but I'd, I'd started to figure out what was the best system yep. and then we'll work similar to like what vision you sort of learned that management yep. role of dealing with people you know yep. staff and then uh fitness first is another level of business growth and yep. personal growth as Massive. well and then now out on your own yes, um challenges with true business especially with your 2020 we just had yeah um you know, being in the fitness industry is probably one of the, the ones that were hit quite severely because mm. things were shut down, yep. gyms, um, you know, the safety of hygiene and everything else. So mm. what 
did you take out of that experience? Because you would have gathered so much, you know, yeah, even though it was, would have been probably a struggle, but mm. you probably, the ones who are able to keep adapting, mm. which you have over the time, mm. years and years, but this would have been a big test for you. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a test more so um, mentally more than the coaching aspect, yes. I think, because every day you knew that, you know, what's going to happen. You, there's no certainty of anything, yep. you know. Um, so I moved all my clientele outside into the park. We trained outside. Mm-hmm. I had limited equipment, obviously, um, more so maybe than other PTs, which was great. But I had to I had to make sure that they were getting enough value yes. outside with limited equipment, um, impossible wind, impossible rain, mm-hmm. you know, wet equipment. Um, had to adapt on the spot. You know, you had session layouts done and then it pisses down with rain then it's uh, windy and you're kind of like, well, now what do I do? Yeah. But they've paid for this time and now we're stuck under a little shelter and it's just coming in from the side <laughs> and you're like, oh, what do I what do? What else? Yeah. What else? What more do you want? You know, and, yeah. you, and you've got big days and then you had the situations where you could only do one-on-one and then I'd have to structure the database so they'd rock up five to 15 minutes later. Between, yeah. So I might get there at quarter to six in the morning and leave at 6 p.m. at night mm. and there was no toilet there so I had to – had to make sure I had enough gap so I could go sprint down to the toilet at the new block. And yeah. It was just challenging in yep. that way because, you know, you wasn't sure at what point were were your clients still happy to train outside. Yeah. Were they still happy to pay money for this, yep. this service? And if they weren't, then what? Do I have to rebuild a bit of a business again? You yeah. know, I've still got expenses coming out and it was it was a challenge, but yep. at the end of the day, it it really reinforced to me that, you know, I do have a good work ethic. Yeah. I can adapt to the situation or the environment that's in front of me. And if needed, I, I know I could do it again. Yeah. And, you know, and that, that was really positive for me yep. to, to know that and, and look a little deeper into myself and know, yeah. that, okay, like if that does happen, we, we can get through it again. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, so you had those those mental thoughts and, um, mm. you know, emotions and all that around those things yeah. and beliefs you created. but. I think the best way to identify them or address them is to just take action and see yeah. what, you know, and you don't know what's going to happen. And a lot of people didn't know what was no. going to happen. So just showing up, doing that. And it, the clients, if they're showing up too, that means that they're happy and they're finding value as well. Yep. So I think, yep. you know, you can't look too much into it, but just be uh, adaptable. Yeah. And, and I think having that ability to adapt will only help you going forward mm. as well, you mm. know, moving forward. Agreed. You mentioned workshops yeah. and like, yeah, so what, how did you come about workshops? Yep. Um, what type of workshops do you provide now and yeah. mentoring roles as well? Yeah, it, two, three, two, I think it was 2017, mm. maybe 2016, I was at the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association Conference yep. and a good, um, a good coach who I follow has been a real good mentor to me is Brett Bartholomew and he got talking to me and I told him about the plan and what I wanted to do and he was just, he was so upfront about it. He said, Edge, you know, go and make it happen. Like don't sit around and, don't, don't beat around the bush. Like, just get it out there. If yeah. you believe you've got a service you can provide to more trainers and coaches, do so. And, you know, uh, six months later, I'd written a curriculum of about 128,000 words. It had 22 topics in it. Yeah. And it's the Edge Performance Academy now. And that's tailored predominantly for new coaches in the industry, up-and-coming trainers or trainers, university students, PhD graduates and PhD candidates, chiros, physios. And I've had them all since 2017. And, Basically, we cover the theory and the manuals, uh, sorry, the theory and the practical with over 21 topics plus a guest speaker. And that ranges from initial screening, business, um, looking after yourself, you've got plyometrics, you've got all the good stuff inside of our industry where 
all trainers, coaches want to be really concrete with the theory, yes, but also want to be concrete with how to deliver it practically to yes. that person, individual, right in front of you. Um, so that's been that's been great for for what I've really wanted to do. That and must it, be rewarding too, hundred percent. Yeah, it's something you really look forward to in the week, knowing yeah. that I've got three to six trainers, coaches, chiros, physios, whoever, yeah, university students in front of me for the next three and a half to four hours, yeah, and we're going to cover these two to three topics or two topics, and we're just going to dive right in. Yeah. They're going to ask unlimited questions if they're not sure. We're going to go through all the practical, all the theory. They're going to get a manual, going to get the Edge Performance Academy clothing. Yeah. They're just going to rip in. And for me, that's a great feeling knowing that I've invested a lot of time and money into all those courses throughout the years yeah. to then be able to give back yeah. and hopefully have a, a small influence on how they coach their clientele, yeah. their athletes or whoever might be in front of them moving forward. Yeah. And that's been really rewarding. Mm, you know? I could imagine. Um, it goes back to what you said at the beginning or earlier in the conversation is that you'd like that growth, you'd like to learn, you'd like to expand. So you even now providing that to others, that's giving you the same probably feeling and reward because yeah. I think I'm, an, I'm a natural person who likes to progress and learn all mm. the time. I think that's what motivates me as well. Yeah. And I think we all need coaches, we all need mentors, we all need people within our lives. We, mm. you know, we, we can always upskill, we can always get better at things, we can always expand our knowledge and yeah. our, you know, skill set. So I think providing that would be so rewarding. You know, probably sometimes, you know, and it, even though you you're doing dealing with six or seven people at one time, but it's probably less training sometimes than doing the one on one coaching yeah. as well. So it breaks that that day up Absolutely. or the week up as well with that. So Absolutely. how long do the courses run for? Yeah. So basically we run them over eight weeks. Okay. Um, every Friday from 12.30 to 4. Yep. And we cover both theory and practical. And I leave an additional two weeks for anyone that wants to come back mm. and go over any individual topics. Yep. So it runs from week one to week eight, yep. but then there's two additional weeks where we can go through. Yeah, there's okay. a guest speaker who talks on any particular topic. And I, I normally try to gather a guest speaker based on who's in front of me. Yeah. You know, if they yep. all like to learn more about um, Olympic lifting, yep. I'll find an Olympic lifting coach that I may have experienced with and get them to speak or if they're more influenced by uh, training fighters then yeah. I'll get someone that's been in that realm yeah, you know wow. yeah. um, so that that's how that that that's uh, that's that's created and, and done which and, is great and how do you attract people to come into that academy yeah so t- there's a few ways one is through instagram and yep. socials mm. um for sure the other is just general referrals yeah which is great you know I, I really feel like if someone's had a good experience through the edge performance academy mm. they're more likely to tell those around them who yep. are similar uh similar you know educated and and where they're at in that workspace to mm. come into this yep. uh, and that's why it's really good for me because i feel like if there's any one time where I'm going to be absolutely 100% on, yeah. it's from 12.30 to 4 on the Friday, yeah. you know, because I'm going 100% with theory, with practical, with answering questions, you know, and that to me is where really I can hopefully give back to our industry yeah. and then they see, Jesus, like I know who might benefit from this and that might be my friend, whoever. Yeah, you know, so for me, it's 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 a difficult market in the sense that there's a lot of competition yes. for it now. Yeah, so I really need to make sure that the quality of the product is there. Yeah, and I continue to roll it out and improve it. Yeah, you know, yep. um, which I've just done recently to just add more topics or refine it or add new current research on X Y Z. Yeah, yep. um, but at the same time, it's um, 
it's 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 about marketing out to those that you know are going to be really well influenced by it. Yeah, definitely. So, so looking in the future, where do you see that becoming within your you know business? business your, yeah. yeah, I think it needs to be more influenced online. Okay, I think for me, it's it's really gathering some good quality content, putting it in a video package, yeah. getting it online. So if you live in Ireland, for example, yep. you and you obviously can't physically attend, you mm. can still purchase it online and yeah. we go through maybe 10 topics, maybe 15, maybe six. Yeah. But we can package it that way. Yep. So for me, the next way is putting it online mm. and then having up to 10 people with an additional coach yes. who runs it with me to do more with those in front of us, yeah. run it three to four times a year and have it really small, community-focused, yep. you know, class-driven and we yeah. can really, everyone who's in there, you know, it's not 40 people at once. Yeah. It's like, right, there's five to ten of you. You're all going to learn and no one's going to leave here today with an unanswered question. And with you know? having that number, it's perfect to manage and people feel like they can answer questions. Yep. But it's enough also for people to give different answers and have different thoughts because yep. I think if you're doing one-on-one sometimes you might not ask those questions or you might not think of those questions yep. where, you know, someone next to you might think of it and you're like, oh, I didn't think of that. that. Yep. And it gives you ideas as well. And the online concept, I think, well, we just talked about 2020. Mm. What a perfect thing, you know, yep. having a platform like that during the, if you know, mm. in that worst-case scenario, which we probably won't experience as, as severe as we did, but, you know, mm. people in that period weren't doing much. So what an opportunity to learn and grow their yeah. skill set. You know, so providing a service like that would so be true. so rewarding yeah. for them because it's giving them purpose mm. and it's giving them something to then, you know, implement once they can get back out into the workforce, yeah. you know, full yeah. swing. So that would be exciting too because mm. I feel like people would love to even get some of that knowledge and that, you know, yeah. information from you even yeah. online if they can't make it in a physical sense. Yeah. So, it's yeah. true. I, when, the, when COVID happened last year, I went straight to the the, the desk and I, I wrote down like a home bodyweight program. Yeah. And then I was like, right, let's film all the exercises. Let's get my graphic designer to put it all together. Then yeah. we'll market it. And within the space of like a week, I put it out onto my socials and Instagram, put it on my website. And, you know, automatically, you know, there might have been 100, 200 sold like instantaneously. Yeah. And I was like, that, that is a that is a, just a direct example of how how people will really respond to having some in quality yes. provided to them and then they can just go about it and and do something in a time where gyms were closed. Yeah. It was there were a lot of people are self-isolating, you know, but there's a home bodyweight gym program you could do just with bodyweight to yeah. give you a workout to make sure mm. that you're staying healthy both physically and mentally. Yeah. You know? well, and that's it. It's, mm. it's not just the physical aspect. It's the mental side as yeah. well, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we do need to sometimes release it if it's a physical movement, mm. you know, doing things for ourselves, which we spoke about earlier on as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, no, that sounds really exciting, you know, yeah. with what you've got, yeah. you know, to cover. Good. But it does take a lot of time up. You know what yeah. I mean? Like in the yeah. sense of setting it up, yeah. you know, so that's Big where, time. you know, you, you're still providing a service as, you know, as a coach yeah. and then as an, uh, you know, in the academy, you're, you know, doing that provide, and then you need to find time for yourself, which you mentioned, but then also I need to find how to create this or implement this on the back end mm. in, on a social media or on a, you know, on a computer platform. So many you know different I mean? aspects. And that's the one thing is like, like trainers who have been in the industry long enough know that if you're forever, giving yourself and yes. helping people all the time mm. that comes at a cost and yep. you, you must allow yourself to have time for you mm. to reinvest back into you because mm. if you don't you just don't last in the industry mm. if obviously you, you you have enough sales acumen but yep. if you don't then you're not going to last yep. but 
Yeah, yeah it's, it's probably one of the key the key elements of yeah. success or yeah. sustainability and growth. Sustainability, yeah. yeah. Um, dealing with some high performance athletes. Yeah. What What are some of the things you've experienced physically and mentally? Some challenging times, but some rewarding times as well. Because I think that would be you know interesting, but also rewarding at the so same true, time. So true. Like every single every single athlete I've trained that's either represented Australia, uh, their their country, yeah. or, or at a high level state has some form of unique characteristic associated with them, yeah. right? And uh, I, there's so many different stories, but one of the, I think she'd be happy for me to tell this, but one of the, the most rewarding clientele I think I've ever trained in terms of an athlete was yeah. Chloe Legazzo. Uh-huh. So she plays um, midfield for the, the uh, Matildas. Yeah. And um, she was so hardworking, like always punctual, yeah. never late always came with a mindset of wanting to be better. Yeah. Had been to the Olympics, you know, it just generally came with the idea of like this time with edge yeah. is important, so I'm going to make the most of it. And the best thing about someone of that nature is they have such a good growth mindset yeah. that they don't believe they know everything. Yeah. They do believe they can get better and they've come to me to improve and get better. Yeah. Now, when a, an athlete drops that ego and and says you know i yeah i play for australia yeah i've got a lot of notoriety xyz when they drop that Mm -hmm. and chloe is so humble Mm -hmm. she drops it and comes in and says i'm ready to rock and roll like what are we going to do let's learn and you can show me never late always punctual always ready to rock and roll hard working they're just general characteristics of not just someone that's made it to australia but just generally someone that's wanting to succeed at whatever industry yeah. that they're at, you know, and they mm. carry over. Um, yeah, well, it doesn't matter if, the, if you are playing hockey or you're in the business world or you're just out, you know, doing it. You just have that. Just it's that, a, have the that. foundation within you foundation. of cr- creating, you know, and the biggest thing you mentioned as well, ego. I think that mm. ego, and that would be tricky sometimes dealing yeah. with high-performance athletes and yeah. successful athletes yeah. you know, because not because maybe they believe it, but the people around them created the environment of, oh, they're on the pedestal or that, you know, and, so that, and then you start creating that mm. belief within you. So, yeah. you know, having to deal with those personalities would be interesting as well, mm. you know, and trying to also bring the best out of them without them getting too caught up in themselves yeah. as well. Yeah, so. it's so true. And then, you know, I had the, I had the fortunate experience to work with um, 2008 Olympic gold medalist Park Taiwan from Korea. Oh, okay. So I worked yeah. with Korea yeah. at the time for about six months. Yeah, and wow. he was living here training with my good friend who's a, he was his swim coach. Okay. And then we went over to California together. So I had an opportunity to train Park. And if you've ever trained anyone that's had an Olympic gold medal, yeah. their mindset is incredible. Yeah. They're, they're willing to do more. They're willing to work harder. They're willing to not miss a skip a rep. They ask questions about why it is that we're doing what we're doing and yeah. how it reflects and matters to me right now. Mm. And if they believe that you had the best interest in them, they'd have every belief that they were to, to go to the next level mm. and they trusted in you. And that's the biggest thing that I've noticed with a lot of the athletes that I've worked with long-term, including Park Taiwan, is like, if they trust you, if yeah. they believe that what you're doing is correct and you've got their back to yeah. 100% certainty, they buy in. Yeah. If you can communicate it to, to, to them and they understand what it is that you're trying to work towards with them, mm. they buy in with 100% and then you two together as a team mm. go to the next level. Yeah, you know, right. and it's it's pretty. So it's building cool. trust and having that rapport with each other and yeah. respect as well. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That'd be um, 
you'd learn a bit yourself as well dealing with these athletes when you even in the mindset yeah. approach and all that and how driven how focused Absolutely. And, you know so um it's it, the mindset is the mindset is great because every single one of them that uh, are at that level like yeah. there's there's good athletes there's really good athletes yeah. and then there's like great athletes right yeah. and their mindset is, that's what's the difference isn't it it's just the mindset yeah. well, between the ears it's yeah. like you know I wasn't happy with how I swam in the pool today. So yeah. what I'm going to do is I'm going to work harder at the catch position and make sure I'm just a little bit over here yeah. and then have someone film it and make sure like it's ready to go again. Yeah. And next time I'm there, I'm going to work harder on it. And then like it's an endless pursuit of growth and yes. improvement. But it's not putting being dirty on yourself no. in the back, but it's about, okay, how can I just improve that 1% of those little things? But to have that discipline and that mindset to go, no, I need to focus, instead of going, no, I'm happy where I am and I'm just content with Literally. it. Or, oh, and just be dirty on yourself because mm. you probably notice as well the ones who, or not the, your athletes, but athletes who get dirty and down, they fluctuate so much because it's just through their moods and their egos yep. instead of those high, those top end athletes, you know, yeah. who probably aren't as much any more skillful as anyone else, but no. they're just able to fine tune and really, you know, go into that detail yep. and just own it. That, that's right. That's right. But that's in every aspect. It's like my their sleep, yeah. their nutrition, their their their, their um, sports and strength coach, their um, sports psychologist. You know, uh, massage, mm. recovery, every part and aspect was all done in order to go to 1% better. Yeah. Like, you know, there's not one athlete I've trained at that level that doesn't actually think about what they're putting into their body from a nutrition perspective, yeah. that doesn't consider how important sleep is. Mm. You know, like that's those percentages where do you really want to make it or do you just want to be? good yeah you know like exactly. they're, they're those small percentage differences yeah and every time you work with one of those athletes like that's where you get the most out of you as well definitely because you have to rise yeah you have to keep educating yourself yep. because at that point they currently know quite a lot if mm. they've been training for year on year on end yeah and then you and introduce... they're in tune with everything too yeah. you know yeah. they're not just just taking it in and not really ta- they're not they're taking it in and absorbing it and mm. learning for themselves and growing within mm. themselves too so mm. but but in saying that, it's good to train those people at yeah. that level. Yeah. But I much prefer to some degree training the younger demographic that yeah. is just a foundation you can just yeah. build from the ground up. Yeah. They've got so much scope for improvement yeah. in so many ways, yeah. not just about how to do a bench press, but like, you know, be punctual, yeah. smile, mm. you know, work hard. The little things. The little things at yeah. 14, at yeah. 13, at 12, you yeah. know, be respectful, you know, yeah. like be kind, mm. you know, just little things like that. And yeah. you can you can build them up, you yeah. know, and, and you see them going out. They're just becoming better people, yeah. not just getting better at a bench press. Yeah. That'll just come, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, because the one thing you've got to sell is not to the kid. It's like when they get in the car, hey, so how was Edge today? Yeah. And the kid's going, it was awesome. We had so much fun. Yeah. You know, that, that's what you really got to get out of them. 100%. Until they get to a certain level, it's like, okay, now you're 16, 17, not X, Y, Z. We've got to start getting you a little bit stronger now for your sport. Yeah. But right now we're just greasing the patterning. We're having fun, a bit of yeah. play. Like let's get balance. Let's get that's stability. A, that's great from your perspective mm. to be able to identify and do that because I think sometimes, yeah, you're going in too hard or the pressure and all that. It just deters people as well. 100%. So, and you're not creating that foundation, what we're mm. just saying. You need to build that foundation. Yeah. You know, they're the key elements of success, sustainability, growth, yeah. happiness, enjoyment, yeah. and all those things. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's really intriguing. What about working with athletes, high performance or the top-end athletes? Yeah. After finishing, you know, their career or their, you know, whatever, have you still worked with them beyond that and mm. have you seen what how they 
adapt or how do they change, you know, yeah. from being a, you know, top-end, you know, athlete to yeah. now just coming back into yeah, you know, society a, a little bit more? It is a good question. Yeah, I have, I have worked with a couple. And yeah. the, the most interesting thing is like, it doesn't matter what level it is, but if you're a high enough athlete and you're known, yes, the moment you leave that sport and you become unknown, yes. there's a huge level of almost, you know, depression yes. that occurs yeah. from that because you were once always written about in the newspaper. Yep. You were once always talked about on social media. Mm. And then soon it become not relevant anymore. Mm. It's kind of like, well, that athlete looks to themselves and goes, who am I? Yes. Who am I now? Mm. You know, where's my path? Where's my journey? Yeah. And what's my identity? What's my identity? Yeah. So you're coming in the gym. It's like, so what do you want to work towards now? We were trying to get a little bit faster in your 100-meter freestyle. But yeah. right now, you're not really swimming. So where are we at? Yeah. And now it's more about like general health, mental health, keep training and be strong for general life, yeah. like X, Y, Z. Mm. You know, but a lot of that time is where it's a lot about that psychological help. It's a mm. bit, a lot to do with like, how are you going? Yeah. Is everything all right? Like let, let's get in here and train and, and try to leave what's happening outside out there. But at the same time, like, is everything okay? Yeah. Because you were once here, notoriety was high. Everyone's talking about yeah. you. Now you're not there. Like how's everything going? Yeah. You know, how do you hit those highs? What you were hitting before, yeah. you know what I mean? Or how do you find other ways to now make that fulfillment or have that fulfilled, mm. you know, satisfaction? Mm. I think that would be a challenging one as well, you yeah. know, as, as a coach for yourself to, you know, you, you've worked so hard and never worked so hard to get somewhere and then it's all finished now. So, yeah, and you see that with so many athletes. Yeah. You know, because sport, a lot of time you retire early, you yeah. know, and so you, you're still like, well, what do I do now? And you see some who have sort of drew that process and it goes back to what you said with the young fellas and the young kids and the young women, girls who you get in to get them to be comfortable in their own identity and mm. to get them to understand themselves and yeah. a little bit. I think that's the key as well, because yeah. when they're growing through their career of, you know, their professional sport, they're able to also be aware and what, what is after and what yeah. they need to sort of prepare themselves and get themselves in a, in a better shape mm. mentally as well, where, you know, once I finish at the top, okay, I'm going to come, come down a little bit, but I'm going to still find, you know, purpose and fulfillment yeah. moving forward, yeah. which, yeah. and the gaps closed yeah. instead of making it dramatic, you know, where you go into a more of a depression or, yeah. you know, you know, sad stress state of mind. So it's true. And, and like anything is like over the years, if you've got to know this person well enough, they're not just your clientele, they're your friend. Yeah. You come to know them yeah. well enough that, mm. you know, let's put that aside and okay, let's put aside the fact that, you know, you might be paying me, that that's all irrelevant because mm. actually we've had a relationship for X amount of years and you're still my friend. I want to make sure you're okay first and foremost mm. because, you know, um, at the end of the day, that is that is the most important thing, yeah. you know, like uh, is everything going all right? Like yeah. let, let's work towards something. Let's keep you focused on a goal yeah. and let's make sure everything outside of the gym is in good place. You know, how's the relationship? How's, how's everything going over here? Yeah. Just making sure you've got that glue with your, yeah. with your crew. Um, um, that, that's amazing. It's just true. Working with a variety of different athletes, yeah, different sports, yes. different. How do you adapt, and how do you know, as you do, but what to use and what what's the best, you know, training oh, programs lovely, and systems? Love that question. Yeah, it's a great question because when I first started, I trained a lot of. First started in terms of like athletic development, yep. a lot of sprinters, mm. a lot of shorter distance, a lot of beach sprinters, sprinters. So the first thing I ask myself whenever you train an individual or an athlete is 
what is the bioenergetic demand of this sport? Which means so physiologically, what do they need in order to do yep. to achieve what it is that they do? Mm. Okay, so you have to ask yourself that question because if I get a central defender for soccer versus a winger, they're completely different in their bioenergetic demands. One's doing high-speed metres up and down yep. the pitch and is hitting much higher velocities then your central defender, who's a lot more idle, who has to have a little bit more body armor to take contacts, has to jump to get the head, clear the line. Yep. They don't have as much high velocity meters. So in terms of bioenergetic demands, I need my left winger to be faster mm. than I need the center back to be faster. Mm. So you start identifying the bioenergetic demands. Okay, so if I'm training a weightlifter versus a dragon boat racer, yep. well the bioenergetic demands are different. One has a four to seven second effort. Yeah versus maybe a 2K effort in one side of the boat. He yeah. didn't paddle like this. So the bioenergetic demands are different. So once we understand that, we can then go from what's your training age? How long have you been training? What's your strength like relative to your body weight? Because yeah. if you're weak as piss, yeah. you're weak as piss, mm. right? You, there's no power coming from something that's weak, yeah, yeah. right? So, okay, if you have no strength, well, target number one is let's create some joint stability, mobility, motor control. Yep. Then from there, let's build your base in terms of your general strength. And all right, then let's start to individualize and specialize based on what it is that your sport demands. So once we have a general level of body weight strength, whether that's squat, deadlift, bench press, pull, carry, whatever it is, mm. okay, then we can start to yeah. narrow that pyramid, what it is that you need. Yeah. You know, okay. and that's where I think coaches and trainers initially in the industry goes, Oh, what's a good lower body exercise? A squat, a barbell squat. Yeah. Well, yes, you are correct. <laughs> yeah. It is, but Little Johnny over here can't do a bodyweight squat yeah. with his own body weight. So there's no way I can allow him to have external load. Yeah. It just doesn't work, mm. right? He has no control. Yeah. There's no stability. So adding more external load is probably going to cause more harm than good. Yeah. So let's get that foundation set. And creating bad habits. Creating bad habits, yeah. right? Little Johnny is a sponge. He's yeah. learning. He's got lots of little wiring and he's trying to figure it out. His central nervous system's going through the roof. Yeah. Let's figure that out. Let's yeah. get the basics right. Mm. And basically, it just becomes a layering process from there. So mm -hmm. whenever I've got an individual athlete on me, in front of me, I don't necessarily have to specialize too much until a certain point. Yes. But we want to make sure initially that the foundation is wide, it's solid, and then then we can start. Yeah. Then we can start tailing up the pyramid. And through that process, you, you can then fine-tune and understand where you need to head with that athlete too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So, it, I mean, that's what I'm saying is if, if you're weak as piss, yeah. I'm not doing anything that is even remotely specific to the sport that you're doing yeah. other than getting you strong. Yeah. Because I know when you get stronger, you'll apply more force into the ground, which yeah. means your power will increase and you'll get faster. Yeah. I'm not trying to sell this whiz-bang exercise, jumping on a BOSU and doing all sorts of shit. Yeah. That, doesn't, that doesn't do anything. Exactly. If little Johnny is weak as piss, yeah. little Johnny's weak as piss. Well, like I said to anyone, mean? mentally or physically, if you don't feel the foundation – over time, cracks will occur, and then you keep coming. You you keep falling back down. That's right, and it doesn't sustain. That's right. It's like a house. You build a, a weak foundation, house yeah. doesn't survive. But I think getting back to your original question of like how do I tailor it to each individual yeah. is understanding a the sport, yeah. the bioenergetic demands of the sport yeah. is paramount. Mm. Then understanding exactly where they are in terms of their training age. How strong are they? Can they move? And what's that general movement screen that you've identified? Is there any structural asymmetries that are going to be detrimental long-term mm. that need to be addressed? Okay, once we've got that map, then we need to identify what does their training look like outside of my session? Like, are they on the pitch for, with soccer yeah. four to five times a week playing two games a week? Well, 
at that stage in season, gym takes a lower priority because their sporting skill itself is the highest priority. Yeah. So I don't want to have them come in and do heaps of eccentric base work, heaps of full range of motion base work, because that's going to add more residual fatigue to the already fatigued state. So now I'm thinking, all right, well, partial range of motion, explosive, concentric only, and a little bit more of a plyometric focus, which is about neural switching, up yeah. firing, up regulation. Yeah. And that's how you can just over time as a coach, like learn what, is important at that moment for yep. that individual mm. rather than going, all right, we're doing 10 sets of three at 87.5% today. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's the right way, yep. you know. So And if, being able to adapt as yes. well, depending on the client's load for that week. You know, you might have had a, a sort of a plan in the back of the mind, but they've come in and a few things have happened with you, you know, through the week, which has taken, you know, it might be a strain or it could be just fatigue or overload. And you do that, well, okay, no, well, this has to change now. Exactly. Yeah. We're not doing trap bar deadlifts at 95% or no. above. Like you mentally are not there. Yeah. And psychologically, you're definitely not there. Well, yeah. they're inter- intertwined, obviously. Yeah. But and, and physiologically, you're not there, yeah. right? Now, I'm going to have to adapt on the spot. And yeah. an easy way to see it as a coach is like I've always said that the foam roller gives it away. If someone comes in and is on the foam roller for 10 minutes and is on their phone and is just like out of it, yeah. you know – almost for almost certainty that they're not in a good place right now. They've just been foam rolling for 10 minutes. Yeah. There's no, uh, it's a, it's like 11 o'clock during the day. Mm. You, you're not tired. You haven't been in bed to 10.45 in the morning. Yeah. Like something's, like I can tell. So yeah. automatically my mind is starting to go, okay, I know we've got the session template ready to rock and roll. This is where they're currently at. But on the basis so far without even talking to this mm, person, body language. I can already tell their body language yeah. is really flat. Whereas mm. you get someone else who comes in who's done a prep, movement prep, warm-ups done, glutes are fired, they've been doing a little bit of plyo prep, and they're like, hey, AJ going. Yeah. D- different athlete yeah. automatically. Mm. So you're already gauging on their body language about yeah. how you might even adapt this session template. Yeah. And that comes over time as being a coach. It's not just about following that program mm. that you've created and we're doing, you know, 10 sets of three at 87.5% today, irrespective of what that athlete looks like when they walk through the front door. Yeah. We don't know the external stresses that have occurred outside in their life. Yeah. And they've been on that phone roll for 10 to 15 minutes when they really haven't done anything other than just think, how do I delay this as long as possible? Yeah. Like you have to adapt. Do you um, help educate the athletes as well about that? Because I feel mm. like sometimes athletes or just people in general training – they don't understand the fundamentals of training and sometimes yeah. understanding and listening to themselves. And yeah. in a coaching space, let's do triathletes. You know, yeah. they have their coaches and they have their, you know, training program for the week and, you know, I need to get that green tick mm. or whatever it is, mm. you know. But they're not actually listening to themselves or their body and yeah. having an understanding. It's sort of they're taking in someone else's, uh, you know, program, which is amazing, but it's not great if, if it's not working for you or if you're not in that. So yeah. I find that with amateurs, professional, any type of athletes, mm. not all of them, but some people, they just think, oh, train, 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 tick, 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 yeah. get the numbers up yeah. and I'm, I'm successful. Yeah. So yeah. do you help yes. in that process as well? Yeah, I do, I do. And If I, think I explained it right. You I'm, did, you yeah. did, because I, I refer to it as not a percentage-based approach where it might be like, okay, born today, we're doing five sets of five at 85%, yeah. for example, with back squat. Mm. It's more a PRE-based or an RPE, however you term it, perceived rate of exertion. Yeah. So basically I'll say to them that uh, today we're working off seven out of 10, which mm. to me is about three to four reps left in the tank, yeah. which means that, okay, if you last week did five reps at 60 kilos and you had three to four reps in the tank, 
what basically means, okay, we're going to we're going to work towards sixty kilos. But if you're feeling better than you were, you're going to go maybe a little bit heavier, but you're still going to have three to four reps in the tank. Yeah. Now, if you're feeling terrible today for whatever reason and you can't get there, I still want you to work to a PRE which leaves three to four reps left in the tank. Yeah. Now, on other days where it's like we need one to two reps, you're feeling fantastic, righto? Let's take advantage of you feeling fantastic but still knowing we've got one or two reps in the tank. Yeah. Right, let's push it a bit. And that's on the individual and we call that sort of auto-regulation to mm-hmm. see how the body is feeling at the given time in the given moment, yeah. you know, very much a, a micro-cycle-based approach. Mm. Um, and, and that's how I educate them, you know, and, you know, there's always going to be that, that A-series. Mm. This is the most important part of our day. Okay, all this power and A-series. This is the most important aspect. Mm. We want to get the most out of here and this supplemental work or this accessory-based work, this is, you know, give or take. It's here or there. But to me, this is where it matters most. And it's still working off a PRE. And if you're feeling shit ass and your nervous system's cooked, well, great. We might just do a little bit more volume-based work at a lower intensity, but we're going to get something out of session. Yes. Or I might give you a new movement skill or low-level plyo to teach you about hip and knee and joint control. Great. Let's work off that. But Mm. there's still some aspect of learning and development that can occur if you're feeling great or if you're feeling not so good. Mm. But as a coach, we need to know when to adapt with what's in front of us. So I do educate them on that. How you feeling? Because then that would help them with feedback to you too, Yeah, correct? You know what I mean? So yeah. you can sort of have an idea and a rough idea of where they're at, but yeah. also if they're in tuned and connected to themselves about how they're feeling, what they, yeah. it's going to be more clear in communication and it's yeah. going to be more beneficial as That's well. That's right. Well, yeah. if you think about it from another perspective, you take male versus female. Yeah. Females, menstrual cycle. Yeah. Okay, two weeks out of four, they're going to be feeling pretty good. Yeah. The other two weeks, they may not be feeling good at all. Yeah. So you got to have those conversations with some of your female athletes to go, you know, talk to me about your menstrual cycle because if you're coming in on the weeks where you're feeling pretty low and your hormones are a little bit all over the place mm. and I'm trying to push you for a new 1RM, it, it just might not be the right time, yeah. right? It, and that, yeah, you're going, pushing and she's like... She's oh. like, no, like, I just can't. I <laughs> yeah. just can't, right? And then, then there's other opportunities during that menstrual cycle where you might have one or two weeks where we can really get after it a bit. Yeah. And then on the other couple, we pull back and that's where it might be, okay, in these couple of weeks, we're going to pay more of a focus on learning this um, power clean, yeah. teaching the technical ability, teaching a little bit more on, um, on that. You know, and that's where we can really roll. So it's important to have those relationships with your clients, male and female, to know exactly where they are at any given time. Mm. So you can auto-regulate. You can go, oh, you're feeling pretty good. Okay, well, we'll push it a little bit here. You're not feeling good and you're feeling a bit down and X, Y, Z. Okay, we'll we'll work on something. We'll we'll develop a new skill. We might give a bit more volume, X, Y, Z, you know. I like Um, that. So That's awesome. mm. Sport, yeah, you love your sport. I do, uh, I and, do. And, and in the, the space you work in, you sort of need yeah. to be aware of a lot of different sports yeah. and the way they, they operate and different players and all that, too. Um, or oh, who's your favorite league team? <laughs> do you want more listeners or not? Oh, I don't know. I don't <laughs> do you want to lose? I thought, I thought I'd just yeah. throw it out there because yeah. I know Canterbury Bulldogs, Canterbury Bulldogs, <laughs> I know a few people doggies. would uh get a bit upset <laughs> about that one, but uh, Up the doggies, yeah. well, you can't go much worse than last year, can you? No, we can't. No. We got a better roster this you year. Do. We've actually got some good coach, people. yeah. yeah. We got a good, we got Steve a good Hampton, too, don't yeah. you? In the back um, end. We're going to do all right. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Um, I'll still Trent make Barrett. a bet with Lewis this yeah. year down, down at the Cube Gym. I'll still make a bet with him. You feeling confident? 
always confident. Yeah, My yeah. optimism is outrageous, That's but it. Yeah. Um, it, it hurts when you lose a few times, yeah. I tell you. Well, especially <laughs> the last few years for you. It's been back-to-back brutal. kind of thing. So, oh, brutal. Yeah, but it's a yes, good laugh anyway. It is. What are some of the sports? So cricket was a, a big part of your Huge. life growing up. Huge. And, and golf, would you say? or Yeah, to a degree. To now a degree. more so. Yeah. Um, so let's go with cricket then. Yeah, first. cricket. So the whole dream was to play cricket for Australia, yep. wear a bag of green. Amazing. Um, that would be amazing. It, well, it? it yeah. would have been, yeah. yeah. So most of the guys that you see on TV I played with or against. So, yep. you know, Dave Warner, Usman Khawaja, Moses Enriquez, played against uh, Mitchell Stark, you know, Brett Lee. Yep. Uh, all, all those guys I played against or mm. with uh, at a junior level and through first grade. Um, so most of my time spent as a junior through to about, you know, 28 yep. is where I stopped playing first grade cricket was – to, to be the best I could. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized early enough that I suppose my talent or ability, even with all my hard work, even with hitting more balls than ever, I just just couldn't quite and take it to the next level. Yeah. There was always... So batter? Yeah, an all-rounder. all-rounder. Yeah, yeah, so I, I finished my career more as a batting all-rounder, okay. but I started a little bit more as a bowling all-rounder. Okay, yeah. Um, so basically I played first grade with Manly from about the age of 22 through to... 28 yep. give or take up and down occasionally through first and second grade um and then the last two three maybe four years the two days i opened the batting and then the the one day i was a more middle order okay now that's sort of five yep. six seven um whilst bowling left arm pace mm-hmm. and i think cricket it's really taught me a lot in terms of you know hard work competition yeah um you know, uh, mentally, you know, you get to a higher level. There's a lot of sledging. You yeah. know, there's a there's a lot of blokes trying to get you out with the chat, um, and you know, you're facing fast bowlers. You know, facing Brett Lee, Pat Cummins, Josh yeah. Hazelwood, uh, Mitchell Stark. Like you, you can't really get any more pumped no. than facing those guys. Yeah. And if you don't concentrate for a split second, it could really hurt you. Yeah. Um. So that was pretty cool. You know, I really enjoyed that. Um. And then post cricket. For the last three to four years, it's now heavily involved with golf, golf you know, yeah. and I, I love it. Um, it's it's been, yeah, it's it's been something that you know most of my life was cricket and golf. Yeah, so you I were playing for, golf in the back end a bit, yeah, like yeah, behind behind uh, the, the scenes, scenes yeah, yeah. But yeah. I wasn't I wasn't playing it enough to really improve. It was more like cricket was the focus, and yep. then when I get an opportunity during the winter, I might play golf here and there. Mm. But it wasn't so much of like I needed to do that. It wasn't only the last three to four years where I've sort of said, you know what, I am going to commit more of my time and energy to being better at golf. Mm. And that's really gone up. So for anyone that knows about golf in terms of handicap system, three years, three and a half years ago, I was off eight. And then I've spent the last two years off anywhere between plus two and plus one. Yeah, wow. So that's Mm. basically a 10 shot difference. Um, that's huge. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. If, if, if anyone yeah, knows golf, golf like that, that that's yeah. that's significant. Yeah, definitely. And that that was through again applying myself to become a little bit better at the game, understanding where I really struggled, how do I improve that? And then from there, you know, it it led to playing pennants for Long Reef, it playing New South Wales amateur, you know, trying to qualify for the Australian amateur. You know, just just little things yeah. really emerge from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. It's 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 been it's been great. You You'd know? say would you say cricket and golf have similar attributes, John? Yes, yeah, similar but different. different you know, the, yeah. the hand eye coordination is something that I felt like I've had since I was young. Yeah. But like riding a surfboard or on a skateboard or anything that required a little bit of balance and stability hasn't really come naturally to me. Yeah. But if you give me a bat or ball, tennis racket, um, you know, cricket, golf, any of that, yeah. that's something that I've worked with yeah but the two things you know and as i think i've spoken to you about as i w- worked with a sports psychologist last year before mm. 
winning the club champs at Long Reef, I, I said one of the things that lets me down is is between the years, yeah. Because I'm so competitive that the emotions can take over. Yes. Um. So for me, the biggest difference I found when I'm working with them is John was like the biggest difference between cricket and golf yeah. is you don't need to be so amped when you're playing golf. Yeah. You don't need to be so alert because in cricket, you're fight or flight. Yeah. If this bloke's running in and trying to bowl 140 Ks and not only get you out but trying to hurt you sometimes, yep. whilst you've got little short gully here having a sledge on, right? <laughs> that's when your fight or flight is going through the roof. Yeah. Now, with golf, that does not happen. Mm. You walk down a fairway, you get to the ball, and then all you've got to do now is think about your next shot. You yeah. don't have silly gully in your ear. You don't have a bloke bowling 140 Ks. Yeah. So that was the biggest differentiation that I learned. It's Slowing like, down. Slow down, Luke. Yeah. Walk slower. Take your time. Mm. Breathe. Like, relax. Mm. You know, and he taught me a really good thing about golf. Is like the process is what matters most. The result, it's irrelevant. Yeah. If you can control your decision-making, the 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 process of what it is that you're trying to achieve yeah. with this shot, yeah. commit to the shot, and that's all you can control, yeah. the result becomes irrelevant. Yeah. And that helped me so much in order to keep my emotional stability throughout golf, yeah. which has led me to to keep playing off plus one and plus two. And, mm. you know, on good days, I'll shoot well under par. On other days, I might shoot two or three over. But the, the dispersion is a lot less because yeah. I've had the ability to control what's between my ears. Yeah. You're you know? slowing down, reducing the, the, the self-talk and everything the as noise. well. The yeah. noise. The and noise. All. Because that, I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. And we overanalyze, we're over-predicting, and then we get caught up in yep. other people around us. And, yep. what that, you know, and probably the difference between cricket and golf as well is like, they're both individual, but they're not. Oh, well, golf is more just individual. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. You're sort of relying on your own self, your own skill set, your mm. own mind, whatever, whatever's between going on between the head or the ears. But with the cricket, you're an individual, but you're also a team. Yeah. So, you know, I think yeah. they've got different attributes where you can sort of leverage off that in the cricket space so you can be at that bit more high you know, fight and flight state mm. of mind, you know, when you're batting, but you also probably in between need to switch off as well yeah. to be not allow you to burn yourself out and to allow that focus. So when you're on, when you have to be on, you're on. You're but, on, yeah. Yeah, but creating, yeah, being able to be in a team environment sort of takes that pressure off you a little bit too. Yeah, Where that's right. individually, yeah. you can't hide. You can't hide, you yeah. can't hide. And I think, I think, I think for me with, with golf now and looking at it in that respect is when you, when you, when you, when you learn more about the, the psychological aspect yeah. of golf and how you've improved, you also pay attention to others yes. and how they react and how they, and then mm. how they uh, shoot themselves in the foot. Mm. It's like, if you hit a poor shot, the moment you start swearing yourself and talking down to yourself, the subconscious mind hears that. And Big then time. that weighs you down even further because you start talking to yourself in that way where it's it's putting you down, mm. you know, like I've seen so many juniors that I wish I could just get inside their heads and be like, you can't say to yourself, God, you suck. That was terrible. Like, you're so yeah. bad at this game. Like, why are you playing it? Self-talk. Chucking your yeah. clubs. You know, like, that doesn't do anything nah. for you to improve in the game. It only deters you and takes you further away, you 100%. know. And, and that's why I'm still working hard with some of the juniors, you know, that I've had the opportunity to coach in the gym who play golf also. Yeah. It's like, if you do hit a bad shot, okay, acknowledge it. But then you have to move on. You have yes. to think the next shot is an opportunity to do well at that place that the balls ended up. It's an opportunity to do better. Mm. You know, you're about to make or could make an absolute ridiculous up and down from this shot. Mm. And then all of a sudden it's because 
you thought differently about it. You still weren't head down, dragging your bag, kicking your club. Yeah. Like you're upbeat and you were still thinking, okay, it wasn't obviously where it wanted to go, yeah. but so be it. Yeah. Did I commit to the process? Did I commit to the club? Did I commit to the shot I wanted to hit? Yeah. Did I execute the shot to the best of my ability? Mm. Tick, tick, tick. The result becomes irrelevant. 100%. You're only doing what you can control. Yeah, and that's it. That's probably know? one of the most important messages I reckon mm, for mm. any any athlete who's playing golf or anyone yeah. who wants to, well, any individual sport as well, mm. to not hold on to it. And that when yeah. we talked about before, those one percent is at the top of those mm. athletes. That's the difference too. When they do a bad shot or they did a bad swim or they did, they don't hold on to it. They go through the process and go, all right, I could, you know, be move on now Literally. now because if if i don't well i think michael jordan and he's document he, he didn't think about any other outcome of just getting it in you Literally. know what i mean so so if, if you minimize all that self-talk that language and everything yep. and just focus on what you need to do yeah out of mo- majority of the time it's going to pay off for you Absolutely. and you're going to keep developing and when you're in the golf space you probably see when you're, you're playing with someone even though you're playing as an individual if they're carrying on like that you you probably get another leg of your confidence 100%. because you're like well he's he's lost it and yeah you're like, well, now, and it probably creates more relax in you yeah, because yeah, you're like, yeah. well, well, you know, you're just watching him do yeah. all the, the damage and that's you're just right. sitting back and, you know, playing, you exactly. know, playing your game. So um, I think that's an important thing to understand, play within your own means and yeah. play within your own your head noise, you know yeah. what I mean? And if it's golf, if it's training, if it's competing, mm. if you're trying to, you know, outdo the other person and that's your your main goal, I think you can get lost and you can get, you know, and you won't have the success you're looking for. You're missing a trick. You, yeah. you know, you've got to focus only on you and what you can control. control. Nothing else matters. You know, yeah. what they do and your opponent is irrelevant. 100%. It's like, how well have I prepared? What have I controlled that I can control? Did I, you know, with golf as a specific, did I, did I again commit to that shot? Did I again commit to the execution? Was it was my pre-shot routine the same? You know, was I visualizing where I was trying to hit the ball? Mm. And that's all that actually matters. Where they are, what they're doing is irrelevant. Yeah. You know, like that's all that matters, you know. And and then viewing the next shot as an opportunity. Yes. It doesn't matter what happens with the shot, it's an opportunity. Yes. And yes, we're gonna have poor rounds, we're gonna play poorly, and yeah. in sport we're gonna not have the best day. Yeah. But what did you learn from that? What, what can we do better next time? How can I grow? Not not yeah. not just drag your shoulders down and go, God, I'm so bad at this game. <laughs> I suck. And like all this hard work yeah. I'm doing is not paying off. Well, that's not necessarily life in itself. You mm. need to work at it. You need to be consistent and you need to be, you know, have a sense of patience that yeah. it will reveal itself in time. Yeah, you know? definitely. What have you said the, what, what sort of improved your game from being, you know, you know minus eight to plus one plus two yeah definitely there's okay so if you think just technically yes technically alone my short game okay. so chipping bunker play and putting yep massive that they, they they were the big things that improved the the ball striking itself has obviously improved mm. definitely um and the swing changes that i've made over time mm-hmm. have allowed me to be more concrete in knowing that if i'm going to miss i don't miss on the left i generally miss yep. to the right so mm. The two-shot miss, as we call it in golf, has sort of been eradicated. And I know that if, if I'm playing well, it's just going to peel to the right a little, mm-hmm. little fade. If it's not, it's going to be pretty much dead straight. Yep. So that's occurred over time. Um, the other thing that's really improved has obviously been my mental approach. Mm. Not beating myself up, not being so competitive and being like I'm playing cricket, yeah. not being like fight or flight all the time. Yeah. It's more so about, yeah, like every shot is an opportunity. And view it that way. Yeah. To to be to do well. Got you a know, new opportunity every time. Every time. Yeah. And just seeing it differently. Yeah. And and not being so bent up yeah. and going, 
oh, geez, it was such an easy conditions out there today. He didn't shoot a good score, oh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, did I look back on every single shot that I played today and commit 100% to the process that I wanted to achieve at that very moment in time? Mm. Yes or no? Yeah. And if I go through all my ticks and I did, I just didn't have a good day. Yeah. So be it. Yeah. But if I look through and I had 10 crosses, well, there's 10 times out of your round that you weren't even present. Yeah. You were just walking up to your ball and just thinking, oh, it's a seven iron. I can hit yeah. it there. Oh, I pulled it left. Oh, shit, went in the hazard. No, but you've got to control those processes. So I think for me, improving from an eight to a plus two or a plus one mm. is, yeah, there's a the technical component, the short game where it really matters, making more five-foot putts, six-foot putts, not three-putting, just the little things. But then there's also the mindset approach that's really influenced the way that my game is not only being able to just get to plus one, yeah. it's be a plus one, plus two yeah. marker all Sit year there. round. Yeah. You know, there's a big difference. Yeah. yeah. And I gather with the short game, with the putting, the pitching and all that, you just spent hours and hours of executing. And, yeah, and that's what it comes down to, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it's just about constantly just playing shots and, you know, trialing and error yeah. and, and knowing what, yeah, knowing your – and it probably comes on feel, would you say, big time with Huge. golf? It feels massive. You know, yeah. you know, if we're allowing the feel to be there, then we're probably going to get more flow in, in our golf game, yeah. and, you know, consistency as well. Absolutely. And I think at a certain level, when you get to a certain level, like if, you, if you're playing off a high handicap and yeah. your goal is to just go hit balls, yeah, you're missing a trick. You've got to find a way to get an outcome from that yes. practice session. Mm. So for me, I work off in balls of 20 where I commit to a pressure situation and try to get better at 20 balls, yeah. whether it's hitting at 65 metres to 68 metres. How yeah. many did I land in a three-metre sort of radius out of 20? Yeah. Okay, I've got 11 out of 20. So next time I go, my target is to get more than 11 mm. so that I'm focusing with each shot out of 20. Once mm. I've hit the 20, I put the club down, I go get the ball, I come back. Now I've got to try and hit it X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And then I've got to try to finish and get off the range, which might be three left to right or three right to left. And I can't leave until I've done that. Yeah. So the time that I've invested is more quality rather than just standing on the ranges, hitting balls. Yep. It has to have a pressure situation associated to it to improve. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just about going to the range and just hitting balls, mm. which is, granted is fun sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I get it. But if you want to generally get better, there needs to be pressure. Yep. There needs to be an element of like being uncomfortable. Mm. And there needs to be an element of which you walk away going, did I get something out of that today yeah. or did I just come down here to hit balls? Yeah. Big difference on how you improve. Big time. And yeah. and it all comes down to the preparation, the training in any yep. sport. It's usually harder or you've got to push yourself in those training sessions. So when you're on the field or in the on the course or, you know, in the water, they're actually easier yeah. because you've done the hard work. You've yep. got put yourself through all these different scenarios and that pressure cooker yep. and then you're able to sort of, go, oh, this is familiar, I've been here and I'm able to relax and allow myself yeah. just to go with it and, and do allow my natural ability to come through but in that moment. Correct. so Because yeah. you know you've done the work. You've done the work. You, you know yeah. you put yourself in pressure. Yeah. And, and that's the whole thing is like there's no consequence on a driving range if you hit a bad shot. Yeah, so swing and hope. Swing and hope. Yeah. There's no consequence. Yeah. But if there is a consequence because you make it more of a pressure situation, mm. the, the moment that you get onto the course and mm. it happens to be that exact moment that you've practiced for, we yeah. have to – hit it out of the tree with a left to right, well, you've practiced that on the range when it mattered, Yeah, you know, and yeah. now you're in the opportunity to do that. And you know you can do it. And you know you've you done can it do before. it because you've done it before. Yeah, you know? yeah. so true. Yeah. Favourite course you've been at or played Ooh, at? Probably I'd say Jack's Point okay. in New Zealand, yep. in Queenstown. Yeah, nice. Unbelievable. Yeah. I'd say that from a, a position of like as picturesque as it gets, yep. incredible. Yep. Knowing what Queenstown's weather's like, I got a day where it was sunny, 
23 degrees, not a breath of wind, and it was out of this world, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so then, people have been there on other days and go, mate, mate, what are you talking horrible, about? <laughs> horrible, And then Freezing, windy. <laughs> yeah, it was horrible. And then probably Cinnabar Hills okay. in California oh, okay, um, yeah. was fantastic. It's kind of like up and down in the desert, you know, and kind of that Napa Valley kind of area. Yep. Um, that was brilliant. Um, that, that, would, that would probably be the top two. Cool. And then probably best Australian course I think I played probably Bonville. Or, oh yeah, that's nice. Or the Australian. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. both oh, beautiful. Two, two, yeah, two yeah. crackers. Yeah. Hundred yeah, percent. Mate, thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Give me a yeah, bit of insight. You. I really thank enjoyed you. that. No doubt. Um, thank you. Couple of two questions I love to ask my guests at the end. Yes. First, yes. what gives you purpose? Yep. What gives me purpose? I feel like wanting to help others yep. has really influenced me. Mm-hmm. I think that knowing deep down I'm a giver. And I really like to help others. Gives me purpose to improve, knowing that I might have a small role to play in others and help them be better at whatever it might be. I think that gives me purpose. And knowing that I've got a large demographic now of young youngsters, anywhere between twelve and sixteen, I really feel like I can leverage some of the life skills that I might have learnt or the mistakes I made, and then try to helpfully influence on those to give them some form of purpose. That's awesome. Um, And you're doing that. Like from, you know, outside in, looking in, you're creating that. And with all the the academy, you know, with the the training you do and the coaching, the mentoring, you're providing that. So, you know, um, mate, what a great purpose. Thank you. Last of all, favourite destination you've been to and you'd like to go to? Ooh, okay. Yeah, good. Love it. Okay, probably... Oh, there's got to be, there's got to be, got to be a combined here. Okay. Favorite destination, I think, is New York. Okay, New York City, yep. fantastic. I, I'd spoke in Canada in a conference in Toronto. Yep. And then I was like, right, I'm going to just take a week for myself, and then put myself in a studio apartment in New York for five nights. Yep. Unbelievable city. What a place. <laughs> what a place. Never sleeps. So. Never sleeps. Literally, that was incredible, yeah. right? And then probably the favorite, just I'd say almost destination yeah. was Italy. I yeah. think the the the. Um, Aeolian Islands in Italy, down okay. near Sicily, yep. you know, Lipari and Panarea and Stromboli and Volcano, that area of itself in the world and, and the the, um, the Amalfi and all that, yep. fantastic. Yep. Absolutely incredible. Just cruising around. Oh, mate, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah wow. so that was that was brilliant, yeah, I'd say. All right. All good. Mate, what Thank a good you, way mate. to finish. Yeah, cheers. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. It was a pleasure.